Hello and welcome to the Carlson Cards Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. If it's your 20th episode, welcome as well. On this podcast, we interview longtime collectors to learn more about the strategies and ways they've gone about growing their collection and ultimately learning about the cards and sets they are passionate about. What's crazy about today's episode is it's honestly one of my favorites and I don't collect the sport that we're talking about whatsoever. Our guest Luke is a phenomenal storyteller and he takes us through the journey of his collection. We talk about signed vintage baseball, we talk about modern baseball, we even talk about his passion for collecting dollar cards of Ken Griffey. What I liked most about this episode is Luke taking us through the way his thought process is for all the different lanes that he collects in. It's refreshing to see someone who's so well thought out and really has the passion behind every single thing that they collect, regardless of era. I really hope you enjoy this episode and stick around until the end because the Fast Five is super, super insightful and we do that right at the end after his Mount Rushmore. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of the Carlson Cards podcast. I'm joined today by Luke, who goes by at Bleecker Street Cards on Instagram. Um, one of the most interesting baseball collectors that I follow, certainly. Um, this is our first time really diving in and chatting in depth together, so this will be really exciting. I know he has a ton to talk about when it comes to vintage baseball, modern, and another example of an episode where I know very, very, very little about what we're going to talk about. I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert. That's Luke here, and we get to learn from him, so it should work out well. Uh, so first of all, Luke, just really appreciate you hopping on. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great, man. It's a, you know, it's a pleasure and honor to be here. I, I was reaching out to you just a few weeks or a couple weeks ago saying, you know, this is this is my favorite podcast and and you do such a good job with highlighting, you know, collectors who are passionate about what they're they're building and they're, you know, and usually it was like in your closet, right? Like not something that you were sharing broadly. And now it's so fun to see that that's changed. But um yeah, happy to be here. Doing good. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate the kind words too. I like that was really nice when you reached out. Um, and I always like like hearing feedback. And I know you gave good feedback. I'm like, why you like it? Which I appreciate because then it's like, oh, I can own in on that. You know, like the yeah. part that separates. There's a lot of content out there, and I want to make sure this is a space where, like you said, I'm not I'm not trying to be the personality. I want to learn from everyone who's here. And um, yeah. I am glad, like I said, we get you on here because this is going to be awesome. I, I can just tell already. <laughs> Um, so I was wondering if we could start and let me know too, if you want me to pull up the photos whenever um, I was wondering if we could start with kind of a general personal or hobby background, maybe yeah. kind of a little bit about yourself, people get to know you and then um, obviously flow into how does tie, how do cards tie to that? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, so from uh, New England, I guess growing up and um, I kind of picked like the Patriots as my team and then also the Yankees as my team, which you know, wasn't, maybe I was a bandwagoner at like eight, nine years old when, you know, the Yankees were in their three-peat phase in the late nineties and then Brady came on. But um, yeah, I, I started getting into collecting with like Pokemon cards, like everyone was doing base and jungle and fossil. And I was trying to effectively just complete those sets. I didn't even play the game, but I just loved them. And, you know, was trading with people at school. And, um, and then I got into uh, baseball as like, just, you know, little league and, and whatnot, and eventually played, um, pretty seriously for a while. And, uh, I got, I think almost immediately into the old like vintage baseball, like stories. I, I think I liked the storytelling and that Ken Burns documentary came out where it was this nine part deep dive into the history of baseball. And we, my dad and I watched that and I, I just, yeah, it was, it was such like, um, it's like a, a vision, like it's stuck in my mind is like, I remember sitting on the couch watching that and being in awe of um, the Negro League players. Honestly, that's what stuck out to me the most was um, kind of the 
I mean, even at, you know, nine, 10, I was like, this just seems weird that players weren't allowed to play with other players, you know, at the major league level. And when you hear people talk about Satchel Paige, Jackie Robinson, Josh Gibson, they're, they talk about them as like gods of the sport and they were like unhittable or, you know, mashing home runs that you'd never heard except from, you know, Babe Ruth. And you're like, okay, well, they, they were incredible and we missed out on them. And um, so I started like asking my dad for like books on Negro Leagues and um, I, I just got really into it. And we went to a card shop and we found like a Josh Gibson card that was like an insert from a 2001 set. And it was like the first baseball card that I bought that wasn't a Pokemon card or a first card I bought that wasn't a Pokemon card. And he was like, okay, this kid's starting to like not be a total Pokemon nerd. Um, and he, uh, for my 10th birthday, gave me his cards that he started collecting when he was 10. So in 2002, I got like partial sets from 68 to 72. And alongside that, he was like, hey, I'm pretty sure I have a Nolan Ryan rookie card. And I think it's worth a lot. And I'm pretty sure I have a Mickey Mantle card. And I think it's, you know, worth a good amount. You should try to find those. And it was this big, like plastic box. And they were terrible condition, like, you know, all just thrown in there. And um, so my birthday was just spent, like, uh, diving through making piles and like asking my dad, like, is Joe Morgan any good? Like, this player seems like it's a rookie card you got, you know, it's, what's going on. And so um, then I'd get the price guide, and I was looking at things and how they were priced. And um, it just felt like another avenue to dive down. You know, like I knew Ted Williams, I knew Mickey Mantle, but I didn't really know, you know, Brooks Robinson or Frank Robinson. And I started learning about all those. And I just became a history nut for baseball. Um, and that, that pretty quickly got me like very seriously and in, interested in collecting and every birthday Christmas was just like, can we go to the card shop and get a couple packs? And, um, I think it, I think I developed a, um, I guess a forward looking mindset pretty early where I was like, well, he had all these cards when he was 10 and I would love to finish these sets, but also what if I get some cards that are available now that then will be worth something down the road. And, um, I guess I was always kind of focused on value, but, um, yeah, so I started getting like a rookie card of every player that I knew across every sport. So I get a Tom Brady rookie card. I get a Derek Jeter, like a Vince Carter, and I'd always get the cheapest ones, which wasn't, wasn't really like the smartest decision long-term. Like I've got these things that are worth like the same amount that I paid for in, you know, 2004. But, um, I, uh, yeah, I just, I loved that. And so, um, I was doing a little bit of the, um, of the, uh, like modern alongside finishing my dad's sets. And then I, there was a couple of sets that came out that were Negro league focused and, I just wanted to get those completely, completely done. So I, I did that and my mom saw I was really passionate about it and she would go to these flea markets and we'd always look for cards. And one time we stumbled upon two Jackie Robinson cards and she was like, all right, your birthday's in three months, but do you want these for your birthday? And I was like, yes. So she bought them and it was like, you know, peak of life because I didn't think I'd ever get um, an actual Jackie 55 tops or 56 tops. Um, and uh, so just like great moments. And eventually I pivoted towards um, uh, like patch cards, which started because I, I got like this $50 pack for a birthday, I think in 2005. And 
it, you know, usually I was getting like tops total or victory, like these really cheap packs. And, um, my dad got me the $50 pack and I pulled a Jim Palmer, um, autographed patch card, which I knew because he had some Jim Palmer cards from the sixties. And I was just like awestruck that there was a autograph on a card, right? Like it was, I, I couldn't believe it. And that I had pulled it and, um, I just didn't have the money to continue to buy autograph cards. So I, I was like, well, patches are cool. Like they're game use. It's close to the player. Like, let me get bats and bases and jerseys of all the players. So I have this binder that's in the other room and it's like every, you know, two thousands baseball player that you could imagine that has, has patch cards, which similarly, you know, haven't really <laughs> accrued in value, but it's like one of my favorite things to look for to, you know, look in, you know, look at. And um, so that, that was that. And then, you know, fast forward a little bit, I, I, um, you know, became high school, college, didn't, didn't do much, but I would go to like card shops and maybe buy, like, like I remember buying a Mike Trout rookie card when I was in college. Cause like, Oh, he's good. Maybe I'll, you know, get a $20 card. And, um, then post-college I had a job that was, you know, finally able, was able, I was able to like spend some money on cards. And, um, I just decided to say every end of year, I'm going to buy a Jackie Robinson card. Like that's going to be my gift to myself. And the first time I spent like 500 bucks, I was like queasy, you know, like this is, you know, I, what am I doing? You know, cards are going to become like, you know, a relic and they're beanie babies or what, and no one's going to value them, you know, when the older generation goes away. But I just didn't really, I was like, well, I, I just love it. Like I love looking at these and like the stories on the back and like, I'm just going to keep buying Jackie cards. And, um, you know, then the, that was five or six years of that. And, and then, uh, pandemic hits and you're depressed and alone and you're like, what, what am I going to do? So started watching, um, like YouTube videos of people break doing breaks. Like Phil Hughes was a Yankees pitcher in the two thousands. And he started doing that Phil's polls channel. And I, I, I just liked it because he was telling stories about Derek Jeter while he was doing the breaks. And, um, he got really into 2019 top Sapphire. And I saw that and thought it was like a beautiful set, like something I hadn't seen before from what I remember growing up. And so I just was like, well, I'm going to go after that set. I used to like building sets. So I built that set. Um, and I, yeah, I can pause, but like that, that was kind of that. And, and then it was a really long like process of trying to figure out where I wanted to focus. There's probably like a year and way too many thousands of dollars wasted trying to figure out where I would actually want to spend my you know time with the hobby but um you know you gotta spend money and make mistakes to learn lessons and now I feel like I found some some uh paths that you know I really enjoy which we can go into some more maybe on the next page but um yeah I think one of them um that I would be very interested hearing number one how you kind of transitioned from where you are you were mentioning the story to what we have shown in front of us yeah. um, and I'd love to hear more about this lane of your collection and um, just in general, any, anything here is just going to be so new to me. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say about the cards in front of us. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, you, you've heard Jackie kind of throughout this whole thing. And uh, I also knew Mickey Mantle was like a, you know, a loved player. And I, I thought he was iconic. You know, this we're going to see it, I think, well, maybe not later, but one of the cards growing up, I think I have it as an honorable mention was a Mickey Mantle that, um, I still have in a screw down case and I love it. But, um, I, so I reached out to this guy on Instagram who 
had an amazing Mickey Mantle collection. And I think this is one of those lessons that I'd love to, you know, share with anyone is like getting involved and asking questions and just playing dumb and say, Hey, like, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you, what do you think? And so I reached out to him. His name's Maddie C, the Maddie C collection. Anyone who knows that on Instagram knows he's got like an incredible, you know, signed 52 tops mantle and perfectly centered 52 tops mantle. And he was really helpful right off the bat. I said, I want to do a Mickey Mantle's run of unsigned cards that were all PSA seven um, because of his Jersey number. And he said, don't do that. It's just, that's a stupid idea. Like you're going to overpay for grades and you know, here's the eye appeal. Like, let me tell you about eye appeal. And um, so I, I was like, okay. And he's like, but if you really care, like eye appeal is great, but also signed cards are this like, I, he's, he's giving me his thesis. Like this is a um, underappreciated part of the hobby that, you know, will grow in focus and attention as like people like you and I, who grew up with autograph cards, you know, all of our life, um, you know, if we, we move back into vintage, we're going to start saying, well, wouldn't it be cool to have an autograph card rather than just pay for like a high grade card? And I was like, yes, I loved autograph cards growing up, thought they were amazing. And I would so much rather pay extra money for something that Jackie held and, um, you know, signed and appreciated for a moment than like just something that was perfect condition. So um, he was saying that about Mickey Mantle. And I just, I just pretty quickly was like, well, he's got, he's got the best Mickey Mantle collection and all of us want to like climb a mountaintop in our collection. Right. We all want to like have the best of something. And um, I didn't really know anyone that was doing Jackie Robinson and he was my favorite player. So I just went down this big rabbit hole of how can I secure a Jackie Robinson cards? There's one on eBay. I became like pen pals with that guy trying to get him to sell um, for something less. I think he had it priced at like 12,000 and um, I didn't feel comfortable doing more than like nine. And eventually we got to a deal um, after like probably nine months of me talking to him. Um, and now that card's like double the price or triple the price. I don't even know, but um, he, he uh, yeah. So it was like, that was the first time I was like, okay, making connections with Maddie helped. And then with Sal who gave me this card um, I'm going to keep that, train running. And so I started going into forums and um, like this SCN site, which is all about autograph seekers and, um, you know, blowout and net 54. And I'm going to look for people who are going after like signed cards or signed sets and see if they have any duplicates um, of Jackie. And, and that became like a big little treasure hunt, you know, and you get to learn from people all along the way. And I, I made a bunch of great connections and all of these, well, actually, the 50 Bowman was an auction that I won, but they're, all my other Jackies are because of some connection with someone who I just reached out to and, you know, started being like friendly. Let's, let's be, you know, let's just figure out what you like and what I like, and maybe we can work a deal one day. And um, yeah, so it just became obvious. Like, I, that's the that's the transition. It was like, well, I want to do Mickey. He, he pitched me on signed. And I said, well, let's just do Jackie. Let's do a signed run. And it's been tough. Um, you know, I started maybe two years ago and I have five. So I have duplicates of the Bowman and the 54 tops you see here, um, which I bought because and I was going to ask you this question. Like, do you, do you do duplicates for your set? Because I find that sometimes um, 
people don't really care about the cash they could get for the card. Like they'd rather trade, you know, you know, a signed Jackie for a signed Jackie. And yeah, I've, I've definitely found that with my select set, set where I've started adding the duplicates. And then there's many people who are the true, like love a specific set or lane. And they're like purists where I could offer them way over probably what it's yeah. worth at auction. They still won't let it go. But if I, I guarantee if I had, a similar car, a similar player that was a duplicate, they'd likely let it go. So yeah, I, I think I found the same thing in modern, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so that that's what led me to get some duplicates, but it's just been hard to find, you know, the 48 leaf just sold for half a million dollars or more. <laughs> um, <laughs> wait till, wait till you got a couple more decades or something. Yeah, a couple more decades. Never say never, but. And then um, it's going to outrun you as your, as yeah. your, as your income improves, your, the cost yeah. of the card is going to keep going up too. Exactly. Um, you know, and then the 49 Bowman, I think is a hundred thousand plus, which, you know, I'm just, it's, it's, it's like, it's like me spending $500 for something. I'm like, I can't do that. Like it's it make me sick. Um, and so then the, what I'm left with is like the 53 and the 56. And I know where a couple are. So um, it's just a matter of, you know, getting, uh, waiting for the right time, I guess, and, and maybe trading or something for those collectors to um, eventually do that. And we stay in touch every few months, you know, just checking in, hey, you, you know, any loose, loose in the saddle there. But um, yeah, so that's this one. And so when I started to hit a stall, I, I said, well, who else did I love from the Negro Leagues? And you know, that's the next page, which was Satchel Page. And, you know, Jackie, there's so many, there's plenty of content out there about why he's amazing. And, um, you know, there's like Martin Luther King and Barack Obama are like, have both referenced him as like, I couldn't have done what I did if Jackie didn't do what he did. And um, I think the only like person that would, that Jackie would say that about, or most obvious person Jackie would say that about would be Satchel Page, because he, in my opinion, and if you look back, like he was basically the first black celebrity of like the 1900s. Like, it's a weird way to think about it. But like, he he was so incredibly good and likable, that, um, you know, every major league player that faced him, you know, Joe DiMaggio, Bob Feller pitched against him. Ted Williams, like even used his Hall of Fame speech to be like, why isn't Satchel Page in the Hall of Fame? Um, all of them look at him as saying he was the pinnacle of, um, you know, an athlete and an icon. And I think for him to do that with basically everything stacked against him was incredible. And then gave um, Branch Rickey, you know, who's just a, effectively a businessman. You could say he's a good man, but he was, he was, interested in bringing in talented players and more, um, you know, black spectators to the game. And that's what he said. Okay. Satch does that. He's amazing. And he brings people to the gate. Um, he's too old for me, but maybe I can get someone else who can break the barrier. And if it wasn't for, you know, what Satch did, there's, there's probably no, you know, probably had to wait a lot, a lot longer for someone like Jackie to break the, break the barrier. Um, and so he, he was just another guy that, you know, I used to pitch like him when I was in baseball, I'd like kick my leg up way high. And, um, it's like, okay, well, this is nostalgia. This is an icon that will always be remembered. And when I have his cards and, and they're autographed, like I, it, it just gives me chills, honestly, like still I have, you know, a couple right here that I can pull out like that we're showing on the screen, right? Like it just, maybe this isn't good. Probably better just see the scan, but, um, it's a actually comes in pretty decent at that angle. It looks all right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Um, 
yeah, the, it just like I, I'm get speechless when I look at those things. So, um, and and all of these came from uh, collectors. Again, like I, the satchel page was from a guy who got it. His brother got it signed in the '50s. They lived two blocks from the Yankee Stadium, um, and I just was posting on Facebook like, "Hey, I'm interested in finding more Jackie Robinson cards in some of these groups." And he reached out to me, said like, "Hey, my brother actually got a bunch of these signed. Here's my collection." And we became pen pals again, like for probably, you know, eight, nine months before eventually I said, Hey, I'd love to just come down and look at your collection and help you think about what's, you know, what's valuable versus not. And, um, eventually helped him consign that to heritage. So that whole collection is going to go in January and February, but as like part of my, you know, the connection we made the help, he's like, you want one card, you know, I'll let you buy one card at market value. And, the satchel page was the one that, you know, I wanted to get. It's like you know, only seven of them are signed. And this one is fantastic condition. Great auto. There's a lot of variability in signed cards where it can be a really beat up card or a faded auto or something, maybe sticker or a tape over it. But this one really stood out. So, yeah, it's been a really good Quick question for you, too. So I'm seeing a 49 Bowman and a PSA 2 with an auto 9. And the other one was a 53 Tops and a PSA 1.5 with an 8 auto. How strong, just off of what you just said, how strong are these cards in the grand scheme of what you could find for signed vintage here for these these specific sets? That's a great, great question. Um, the 49 Bowman is basically as good as you can get. Um, there are some people who really care about the card grade, the top grade, because um, what, what was historically the case is people didn't think Stein cards were worth anything in the seventies, eighties, nineties. It was like, you're destroying the card by putting a mark on it, like writing on it. And so people would do it, would get it once in a while, but they would use their beat up cards. Um, okay. You know, not the really nice ones. Cause people at, back then cared about pack fresh. That was kind of, you hear now, you know, other terms, but that was like, I have a pack fresh mantle. Um, and so that you wouldn't take that to the, to the person to get signed probably have it in your pocket like you know at the at the stadium and it was getting beat up there and then you pull it out and they just grab it and like scribble on it and then throw it back to you and it was um so most most cards are tough condition the satchel page there's one that's a five that's the highest graded that's autographed and it's got a pretty good auto i think it's coming to leland's shortly so um you know that'll that'll probably do double the price of what this one goes for mm -hmm. but people really care about like the overall presentation, like, is this a pretty solid image? Is it a, the, the um, auto in a good spot? Is it not too faded? It's legible. And I think these are, you know, prime examples. Um, the 53 tops, you could get maybe a handful that are better. I think it's a pop 25, but um, this is, this is in that top bucket. Um, one, one other quick question. Sorry, Luke, I'm <laughs> totally stealing your thunder, but this is a genuine question that comes up to me. Um, how do you how do you properly, let's say, like curate and keep these stored long term to where you're not worried about fading? Is that an issue with yeah. these? I know markers versus pens. I don't know if these they look like pens. I don't know if that's a difference. Like, do you have any intel on that? It's just not something, again, I'm familiar with. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so markers will fade. Pens will fade. Pencils will typically not fade. Wow. Um, OK. Yeah, which is. You know, you, if you get a, um, like there was a Babe Ruth signed in pencil that like looked like, you know, clear as day. Fountain pen typically doesn't fade as well, but, you know, that's pretty old stuff. Um, so I, I have this like, just because I want to look at them. Mm -hmm. 
I have this like little graded, so cool. you know, graded card holder thing. Whereas this is really my Mount Rushmore. I'm going to show a couple other cards, but these are really my Mount Rushmore. And that's I, I basically have it out in my living room um, for like the weekend. Mm -hmm. And then I place it face down for like the rest of the time. And I keep it out of the sunlight because I don't, I don't want them to fade. But the PSA holder, I think is supposed to be somewhat UV resistant. I don't think it, it, you know, they don't claim that it's going to, you know, stop it if you put it in, in the light of day. So um, yeah, you got to be basically keeping them in your Zion cases or you're safe and then okay. pull it out to look at. Yeah. And I don't know if, I, I think when I talked to Nat, I think he mentioned their newest slab and I don't know when this come, came out, if it's very, very recent, I think they mentioned actively doing something for the UV. So maybe like oh, you good. said, maybe, maybe they're doing something new. So maybe can, I don't know if that, it means consider a reholder or something, but I just, that came to mind. I just That's remember cool. him saying that. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll ask him. He told at me at least that, at the very least they got to be researching that. I mean, it's so important yeah. the value these cards are grading and to keep them long term. Obviously, that's just so important. Totally. Yeah. No, I agree. I asked him why the scan of the Bowman looks different than the leaf in the gray area around it. And he's like, that was a mylar sheet that we put into some of our higher grade cards that's in the Bowman. Um, and so that may be part of the protection that they're trying to add. So that, okay. that'd be good. Cool. Um, but yeah, this is maybe another lesson, you know, lesson learned, I guess, is on that eye appeal side, like this PSA one leaf might be, well, it's a one, what, who cares? Um, it, it looks incredible compared to what um, many issues, well, any exa many examples will look like from this set. 48 leaf was, and we can get into this some more, but was my favorite set um, from the vintage time because it was Jackie Robinson's rookie card, Satchel Page rookie card. Um, there's the first integrated baseball set and it had this like color pop art that really wasn't seen, um, post-war is the first time that that was done. And, um, so, it, but it, the problem is it was made by like a gum manufacturer that didn't make baseball cards, um, at, like really ever again after this. And they were printed like horribly. The QC, the QA was just like, it's all over the place. You could see like people's like faces like slid over or like the edges, you know, the, the, the plates were awful. So this one's got amazing registration, amazing color. It does have a pinhole at the top, but uh, okay. for that it's, reason. Yeah. Interestingly, I had Joey, um, the E-Trader on here and he, yeah. he had a Mickey Mantle. That was the same thing. I was, I was looking at this wondering why is it a one? If you're yeah. mentioning that it's so horrible typically, and it looks really great, but he had a pinhole on the mantle as well. So yeah. that's interesting. Both of you had the similar story here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love a pinhole card because it's it's this could be maybe a three or a four depending upon who's grading it that day but it's now a one and that that kind of puts an anchor on the value um I, I don't know like i there was a one with a mark on it that sold at robert edwards sunday night for like twelve thousand, mm -hmm. but i've had multiple offers over thirty thousand for this just and, because of how great it looks strictly exactly. yeah makes sense and so that's that was something i didn't really appreciate coming into vintage um you know, again, with the graded cards and uh, in the COVID era, it took me a while to be like, okay, what is it for each individual set? What does eye appeal mean? And, you know, how do people value that differently? So that's, that's something, um, you know, people should spend time on, but um, awesome. maybe we skip to the next page. So I'd mentioned that 48 leaf was my favorite set. Um, Wow. This is insane. Sorry. <laughs> I just like knowing the names, but not fully being again, knowledgeable about baseball, but then, yeah. Oh, I look down casually. They're all autographed. Okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's just amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you. And it's, 
you know, it's the same thought process. Like, okay, this is my favorite set. Do I want to go after it in high grade? Probably not. Like, I want a hard chase that I can work on for years. And um, I was like, well, I like the signed idea. I like the, you know, the general thesis long-term that people are going to want signed cards more than um, they do now. And, and that is, um, you know, it just connects you to the player. Like, I just enjoy holding a Joe DiMaggio card and be like, he must have looked at this and been like, that's a cool image. You know, let me sign this, you know, like, I don't know. Something must have happened behind it. And probably a collector was so scared to bring it to some show. And, you know, there's this whole story behind these cards. And, um, and I saw on the PSA pop report that they had 48 um, that were of the 98 that were autographed. Um, So there was no chance I was going to ever finish the set, but I, I said, well, maybe I get pretty close. And, it would be quite a mountaintop to climb to, you know, get anywhere close to it. So I've got gotten to 40 and then I've added some to the pop report by finding them raw or in Beckett slabs. And now we know that, um, you know, there's at least 62 that are signed based on, you know, past sales and, and um, what I've seen out there and in other slabs. But um, yeah, so this is, and this is one where, you know, I get, as excited like Jackie Robinson, you're, you're spending way too much money on a card. Most people would say, but I get like a $200 card in or an $80 card in from some random player you never heard of. And I am like over the moon because I'm, I'm checking off another you know box. And I just love that aspect of set, set collecting where you're not breaking the bank and you're getting just as excited, right. Um, in the hunt and, and whatnot. And, and a lot of these have come through again, like me just posting, I was a little bit worried the first time posting about Jackie, about this set. Like if I put this out there, people are going to think it's such a good idea. They're going to compete with me on it. And, and of course people are doing their thing. Like they don't actually usually think that way. And um, what ends up happening is they just, they want to help you. And so, you know, they see something I get, I get every week, I get multiple messages from great collectors on Instagram or Facebook who are like, Hey, I saw this get posted on Twitter or this other guy's got this thing. Is it one you need? And you know, that's, that's just essential to collecting any tough set and it makes you feel like you're connected to them and and you want to help them back and um, makes the community part, you know, a lot more fun. Awesome. So now it looks like we're going to, going to modern a little bit here. Now now we're in the modern and I should have said that up front, but I was trying to structure this as, um, you know, like a a vintage section of baseball and then a modern section. And, um, I would almost ask, like, let's go to the next page because this is where I really fell for the set was I watched this get break. And this is, these are all the base cards of 2019 Sapphire. And they've got this atomic refractor look to them. That's what Sapphire is, you know, most closely associated with. And in 2019, there wasn't really like a base color behind it, whereas other sets, they put like a blue. You just get the real image of, um, you know, the, the action on the field. And I think it makes for a really cool cracked ice type look. And yeah, I just thought they're gorgeous cards. If there's a lot, you get a lot of the vets still in it. Like, you know, you see Pujols on the page, you get some cool rookie cups. Like Otani's got a couple rookie cups, which is, you know, tops gives second or second year of cards. They always get some kind of all-star rookie um, since basically the sixties. Um, so you get some good Acuna is a rookie cup. Juan Soto is a rookie cup. And then you have, Fernando Tatis, um, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Pete Alonso as rookies in it. So there's some good names, and it's just a gorgeous set. They they have the stadium cards in it, which 
Um, they don't often do where you get a shot of each individual stadium. So I wanted to complete it. I did it like almost too quickly. I think you and I were talking, you know, post before the show. It was like, I just went to Com C and like bought all the base cards. And I was like, okay, well, this is gorgeous and I like it, but like, I want to keep buying these and I don't want to just do another set. Right. Um, and so I said, what's like a really hard set? And I basically looked at what Spinatron did with the essential credentials and what Nat does with the PMG greens. And I was like, okay, mine aren't as like iconic, but I want something as hard as that. And it'll keep me close to the set. It'll be a, like a, an interesting climb where I'm sure I'm going to meet some friends. And, and I'm also going to, at the end of the day, maybe it takes me 10 years, but at the end of the day, it's going to be a pretty insane set. And um, so I went after the red set. I started going after each of these cards numbered to five or, um, in the red refractor. And that if you go back to the other page, you can see I have a couple of, well, yeah, this is fine. A couple of the big ones is like Mike Trout is a pretty big card. Um, but I found found pretty quickly that I it was red was like impossible to make progress on um, on like enough of a mail day timeline that I was satisfied with. So I added purple, which is numbered to 10. So I'm going to try to do the whole set numbered to 10 or less. And so I started adding super fractors as well. Um, but the goal is, you know, number to five is the priority. Um, but if I can't get that, like Guerrero, his, his rookie card, number to five is like, you know, probably a $30,000 card. And I'm like, I, I just want to put this in a binder and appreciate it. So I'll get the purple to 10, um, or the Acuna. And so I've cracked these out since then and put them in my binder, but, um, yeah. And that's, I thought it was just a cool way to like go after a set. Like a lot of these are still 10 to 20 bucks. And you, again, you get so pumped when something pops up. And I think at the end of the day, like how many sets are out there where they're numbered to 10 or less for 700 cards. Right. And I think that'll be a fun thing to, to look back on. Um, yeah. And if you flip forward two slides, here's some, here's some good ones where you can see it. These are just, again, pretty cards to look at. Like I, I don't really have much more like insight than that other than I'd recommend people to like find something that, you know, I knew that it would make me, it would remind me of COVID in the early days and Phil Hughes. And like, this is why I got back into eventually if I didn't like this set, I wouldn't have probably bought all these Jackie Robinson signed cards. Like this was the initial thread. Um, but it's also just really attractive. And, you know, I, there's Bryce Harper in his first time in a Phillies uniform with like a red color match numbered to five. Like that's a really cool card, especially right now with him doing so well in, in the playoffs. And um, so remind me, this was the first year they did Sapphire. I think you mentioned, correct? So it was the first um, effectively mass produced okay. Sapphire. So they, in 2017, 2016, 2017, they did complete sets. Um, 2018. Ah, okay. Yeah. So you could buy like two, there was, 250 on the website you could buy complete sets if you were a member of the collector's club 2018 they released um a sapphire set but it was uh again like super hard to it was in boxes but it was super hard to get um i think they maybe only printed 300 of those um per card whereas this was a thousand per card in and it was really like the first time people said hey sapphire is pretty cool you know, in 2018, you had Otani and Acuna's rookie card. So those boxes still go for crazy money. But this was COVID, you know, people were breaking it all over. 
there was enough to go around. Um, and so it, it kind of got on people's radar uh, for the first time with 2019. So I, that's why I think about it as like the first time, first mass produced one. Um, and now it's become, I think because of the success of that, they've like really ramped up production. I think 2020 is like three or 4,000 per card. And then 2021 was like 10,000 plus. So, uh, you know, I'm just not as interested in those when, you know, it's, it's really hard to find the parallels. Yeah. That's kind of why I asked too. I figured that was, that played into this for you having talks prior, like you mentioned, wanting to be challenging, but not something that everyone can go and go ahead and do, which obviously yeah. makes sense for out of five and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I think the next couple we have actually different sports, which is interesting that you collect so much variety and I'm excited to hear about these. Um, yeah. So what do we have in front of us? Yeah. So, um, you know, like we always get influenced by other people in the hobby. Like I feel like there's some tastemakers on Instagram and <laughs> whatnot. And I just was like, what am I missing? Why am I not collecting basketball? Like I do like basketball. I used, it was a game I played the most on video games growing up, like NBA live 07 or whatever. And, um, you know, NBA street and all those games. I, like I, I do play it pick up all the time. And I was like, well, I get kind of nervous buying rookies or the modern flawless or national treasures. And I'm, I'm like at my heart, like a set collector. So I said, what's like a somewhat difficult set to build that isn't going to break the bank that has a lot of nostalgic players on it. Um, you know, from those basically video game sets and, uh, the black refractor set, from 2003 Topps Chrome seemed like the obvious one. It's numbered to 500, but a lot of those are still hidden away because, you know, it's been 20 years and people aren't. It's hard to find, honestly. I, I, I was really, it was really difficult to find a lot of the commons. It took me like six months um, to, to really get close um, after just like an initial mad dash on a lot of these, like Sha you can see Shaq and Kobe on the bottom right, um, AI and T-Mac in the top left. And, you know, Marbury's in it and Duncan and, and then you get the iconic rookies in the middle where there's mellow and Chris Bosch and Dwayne Wade. And I was really looking forward to doing this because last night I uh, thought I was going to secure the LeBron black refractor, but I missed by like literally 50 bucks um, oh. on an auction. So, uh, yeah, that was a bummer. Cause I was really, was like, I was going to be like, Oh, and I just finished the set, but still, so that's why you said you were busy Monday and you had to get together Tuesday. No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so I just felt like I was like, I should have a basketball part of my PC. I did. I do love it. And I wanted to complete the set and I thought it would be a cool thing that not many others have done, especially in like a raw binder where, you know, I'm probably destroying some value by cracking out some of these cards, but I just like to appreciate some of these sets in a binder and flipping through and um yeah so eventually i'll get that lebron but you know not yet for now it'll tease you at auction every <laughs> every month or every couple months or so yeah. how often do those pop up at this point is it kind of every month still or is it kind of weighing down i would say it's it's like every two to three months honestly um seems I mean, healthier there, yeah it's there's there's some like there was two that sold in october but before that it was like may you know mm -hmm. so i yeah I'm noticing that with football too, and I, I hope it's transitioning to this, but like, it really seems like some of the stuff that I've enjoyed looking at and following and like, just some of the nostalgic guys, like you said, in this two thousands that I watch for football, like yeah. I, I've noticed there's a little bit less of that stuff. I mean, not that there were ever a ton of it going to auction, but it's now instead of like every couple months, it's like once a year, twice a year, right? It's really starting to, I hope that continues to be the case. I hope people um, yeah. hold on to this stuff a little more. Yeah, totally. 
and it, you know, maybe, maybe I don't know if I should keep saying these lessons, but I wanted to like think about some things that I would recommend is just don't box yourself in, right? Like this is, this is like a really fun, this was a, a great set that I really enjoyed building. And um, as a baseball collector, a vintage collector, basically um, only that, um, I was like, yeah, it's just going to be weird, but yeah, I just, whatever. I just really enjoyed it. So, um, you know, that's inspirational. I haven't broken that, um, that barrier yet. I'm still like, oh, I'm just a football collector just to keep my, to keep my mind in a lane. Yeah. Well, I it started, like I had, I had, um, James on last week with soccer and I was like some of this stuff, I'm again, not saying this to hype it up in any way, but it's like, man, how else would it be amazing to learn a sport, learn the history? Like you said, with the base of the beginning to yeah. just start collecting it. And maybe there's super low grade, you know, not stuff to break the bank, but just yeah. to start. And like, that's now, um, it'll be interesting over the years to come where that kind of transition, if I ever, you know, start to do that. I'm sure, like you said, you went through that too, where you did baseball and then you started with a set collecting for basketball and mm -hmm. then it kind of opened some doors. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I got closer to like, I mean, I don't know if I'm close with, with um, you know, like Cardboard Chronicles and Chris, mm -hmm. but like, just because now I'm interested in these, these cards, like I, I reach out to them more and like mm -hmm. put this on their radar and like you, you just meet new people, I guess is the point. And like, you start learning about what they collect and, you know, actually you had, I think it's a new 33. Yeah. Yep. On. Um, and I really liked the way, how passionate he was. And, you know, um, it's like, well, he's, I'm going to follow him. I never heard of him before. And then like two weeks later, he put up a story sale of like a lot of Patriots autographs. Um, from the 2000s, which was my team and, you know, like William McGinnis and Troy Brown and Lawyer Malloy and Ty Law. And um, I was like, I'm buying all of these. <laughs> you know, it, 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 that's I, funny. I'm glad the podcast let do a deal. That's yeah. awesome. And I'm sure yeah. he used it on something. Well, I just saw he picked up a FAR of 24 karat yeah, gold. So I'm sure I, some of that money went towards that, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, awesome. So, anyways, yeah, we can go ahead and go forward. Now we got a big time guy to talk about here. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was my guy growing up. Um, I did like El Duque, Orlando Hernandez. So I, he was probably my favorite Yankee for a period. So I have a PC of him, but um, Jeter was ultimately like the staying power. I just loved everyone who played little league in the two thousands did the jump throw like, you know, 50 times. And um, he was an iconic winner. People love to hate on him. Say he wasn't as, you know, as um, good as people say, but, there's, there's some incredible amount of postseason stats. And if you just look at the story of who he is and um, how clutch he was able to be in key moments, both defensively, like in that athletics play where he was so out of position, but, you know, was able to do the the toss to Posada and tag out Giambi. Like that was, that was him, but then he was also Mr. November and he was also has like 200 postseason hits, which the next closest, closest person is Bernie Williams at 130. And then it's like, no one for another 50 hits. So he just, he just was a, um, a winner and a really like likable guy other than the gift baskets. Like he never really had much controversy. And, um, so I, you know, I always was buying cool Jeter, um, cool Jeter cards and autographs. And I loved pairing him with Nomar. I have like four different Nomar Jeter autographs because those are all my friends in in Massachusetts growing up were Red Sox fans and they were telling me no Mars better and so put them on a on a card together was fun um and then I just found that getting some iconic pieces of his was going to make me happy so the the patch card up in the upper right that's the first patch set that 
most players have been have had. Um, there's a 2000 UD game jersey was, you know, other than Griffey, who had like a 97 and a 98, effectively no other players had a patch card until this set. And Jeter's was is up here. It's really tough to find. There's only about 25 of each of them made. Um, and so I was like, I got to get that card. And then the star date was like a great Kobe card, but you know, I just, it's a beautiful card. It's a $50 card, but I was like, this is beautiful. I want to get it. So I got that one. And then, you know, some of his early numbered pieces, which you see here, the showcase and the PMG, you know, any, there were some, you know, numbered to 2000 cards, but these were basically the first, um, serial numbered, uh, you know, mass produced or in mass produced sets for Jeter. And, um, they're gorgeous. So I, you know, have made the leap into, I think I have three of those showcase row zeros just cause I think it's a really cool looking card. And then the PMG was a big pickup where I've been watching it for so long, but I was worried how much there were like how much flipper activity really was driving the price. Mm -hmm. Like, is this going to true collectors or is this getting priced by people who are trying to make money off of it? And I'm always trying to think through that when I'm dipping my toe into modern. Yeah. So it's kind of, is it kind of for you like a, a seesaw of like, wait till that kind of dips down. So maybe the price is closer to a true collector price. And then yes. I'm trying to figure out where that, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And you got to be involved to figure that out, right? Like you've got to watch people on Instagram who do that and you know, the YouTube content to know like who's buying these. Um, but when I saw that this had come up like three times in a year, I was like, okay, they're probably like done making their money on it. And maybe I'll make this, make the jump. And um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's even prettier in person. I was really, I don't know if I have. Is, is he in any, i not familiar. Is he in any prior um, PMG yeah. sets? Is there like a 97 or 98 Sorry, that he, he's in? Uh, he's in the 98. Um, and what's well. the design of that one? Is it like a cityscape like it is for basketball? It's the, yeah, yeah. So, and it's the championship version, you know, like the bubbles. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's also like an anime version or an animated version. Um, an anime yeah. version. I was like, whoa, that'll probably interest some people. That's funny. <laughs> um, it looks, I mean, it could, I don't know. It's some kind of comic book type style, but um, so I'll get the 98 eventually. It just hasn't really come up at open auction yet. Yeah. Makes sense. That's amazing. This is really cool. I like the variety and you're, you're inspirational because like when I talk to you here, it's like, okay, I think I'm enjoying collecting. And then I say you, and I'm like, okay, number one, this is like, you absolutely love it. And number two, you're like a freaking curator of a museum over here. I'm like, man, oh man, looking at these, like you call it, I feel like whenever someone calls something a piece, here's some great pieces. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah. that's a sophisticated man right here. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all, yeah, I'm all making it up over here, but yeah. <laughs> um, so this is, I think, the last one before we get to the um, the Mount Rushmore. But uh, this is just another recommendation that I have for people, which is have a dollar box PC because it makes going to shows really fun. And when you need the fix, like for a new new mail day, and you don't want to piss off your wife or girlfriend, like it's good to go to Comp C and buy the dollar cards and get excited. So. Um, the Griffey was like another iconic nineties player that I liked growing up. And, um, I didn't really want to, there's so many people who collect him hardcore and I just didn't want to spend that much money on that versus Jackie or page. So, um, I'm basically always in a hat and almost always backwards. 
And I'm pretty sure that was just because of Griffey growing up. And even in uh, business meetings, I have to ask. <laughs> except for that. Except okay, for that. okay. But like I wear it to work, take it off when I walk in the door, and then you know, on the way back. But um the uh yeah, so this is just I have I think 250 different Griffey cards um that are backwards hat and it's a it's a great little thing in the you know when i go to a card show and i'm flipping the dollar boxes you have any griffey and i'm you just, again you get and like a broken record but like i just get so excited when i find new i'm like oh dang yeah nice i didn't have this one yet and it's only a dollar okay great um so what's cool is you can't filter this you know like you can't go on comp c and say backwards cap griffey yes. and get all the results i'm sure you're going to shows and you see like yeah oh, I, I didn't know this one existed what's exactly, this like exactly uh, yeah, I didn't exactly. So you you can't really. There's still a hunt component to it versus just getting, you know, every night, you know, tops Chrome of his or something. You know what exists, and you know, I'll find random ones. I think one on here is like a Toys R Us one, or there's like a Dunkin' Donuts one. I'm like, man, I didn't know that. And there's actually another guy on Instagram just to shout him out. Um, I think his handle is Griffey Backwards Hat, and I had. Uh, saw his his page and I was like, okay, I'm going in. I had maybe 50 at that point beforehand, but and I, his, he showed me there's so many more, and I just didn't really appreciate that there was that many more. So I, I really ramped up the the hunting for it after that. These are stored in a binder, I'd imagine too. Yeah, they're in a binder. Okay, all, all these are in a PC binder. It's like the same one that has um, the black refractor set and awesome some other stuff. Yeah. So now I think we roll over to your Mount Rushmore, and we got. Two honorable mentions, it looks like, in front of us. What are the cards here? What's the story? This is just in case my mom and dad see this. <laughs> you can send it to them. I'm sure they'll love watching. Yeah. You should send it yeah. to them. Um, so the one on the left is, uh, and, and they're, they're they're like the cards I would never sell before anything else. And mm -hmm. you know, they, they mean incredible amount to me. But the one on the left is my dad's Nolan Ryan that he pulled from a pack um, that I found at the bottom of the box. And um you know, it was just, I was bragging to kids at school in second grade being like, I got this card and it says in this magazine that it's worth a thousand dollars. And of course that's like the near mint version and mine's yeah. like, you know, VG, but, um, it, it was, uh, yeah. So I just love that card. And, um, then the one on the right is one that my mom got me, um, when we went to Cooperstown for the first time, that was a massive trip, went to a Cooperstown LCS and, they had, of course, like crazy overpriced vintage that I didn't really know. I was like, this is a Mickey Mantle 1956 tops. I've never seen that in person. Mom, I have to have it. And I think it was like 400 bucks, which is way more than we'd ever spend on cards. And she was saying, okay, this is your Christmas and birthday gift and you get nothing else. Are you actually okay with that? And I was like, yes, 100%. And so, um, yeah, it's, this is the original screw down and, you know, I've, I got it in my safe in the other room um, and pull it out once in a while. And so it's just nice to have these family you know, connections. And and um, if we think about Mount Rushmore in the lens of like, what would you hold on to forever? Like these are the ones. So awesome. Appreciate yeah. this story here. This is cool. I'm sure they're going to, um, well, I should put it this way. I'm sure your kids and their kids and their kids mm -hmm. are going to enjoy these. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. They'll be fighting over it too. If you have two kids, maybe you split it. If you have three, I mean, that's kind of a lottery right. there at that point. Cut the Nolan Ryan in half. Um, yeah, yeah, there you go. It, you can do that, right? I think yeah. that's how that works. Uh, okay, so again, like these are, I'm, I wanted to balance the show with, or the, the discussion with like modern and vintage. Um, I don't know if I'd actually call these Mount Rushmore, but 
they are pretty close. And I'll, I'll tell you that because the one on the right is a Tatis rookie card autographed. This is like a pop 20. Um, so it's a base autograph, but there wasn't that many. Um, pop 20 total graded, not intent. Mm -hmm. um, and this actually was the one that Phil Hughes pulled himself. And in his Twitter background, he's got a rainbow of Fernando Tatis 2019 Sapphire rookie autos complete, like through the super fractor. And this is the one he has in his background. So he eventually must have sold it. And oh, it, wow. was, it was with Nady Rizal. And then um, I saw him post it and I was like, I need to have this. Like it was the last autograph I needed. And for it to be the Phil Hughes owned version, I was like, okay, got to have it. And, you know, I'm never going to sell this one just because it's that tie back to like the re rekindling of, of um, collecting. And then the one on the left, we've talked about a little bit already, but just another lesson learned. Like I bought this cause I thought it was cool. It came up on eBay OBO for five fifty, I think. And I went to click best offer and there were five competing offers. And I was like, what am I doing? If I'm going to save like a hundred bucks and maybe lose out on it because there's five competing offers. So I just smashed bin, which I recommend people doing um, if it's a card you really want. And so I bought it like, you know, within 20 minutes of it going on eBay. And then I sold it at a show to like some guy who was like, oh, this is a big basketball set. I must, this must be worth something. So here's like a thousand bucks. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I made a profit and for the next like two weeks, I was like, why did I let that go? You know, like what, what was I thinking? Like what? So I then, yeah, went crazy and like spent 1500 to get some, get another version back. And then like, I've set like the new comp on this three times because I just really love it and don't. And so I, I learned through the process of like buying and selling that this is one that's important to me. And I, I don't want to, um, you know, uh, lose it. So it's probably going to stick around for a long time. Awesome. Then second part of your Mount Rushmore here, we jump back a bit. Yeah. And then these are the, um, easily like the ones that I, I, I cherish the most from Jackie and Paige. I was going to, I was going to say, I'd imagine these are your two favorites for your collections for either player, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. So the Satch, um, you know, just his rookie card, it's, or one of his rookie cards and it's, um, a gorgeous example, a great connection to Paul Greenbaum, who's the original owner or his brother, Mike was the original owner. And, and now he, he holds him, but um, I, yeah, just forever grateful for him and enabling me that to get that card. And then the Jackie, I also, another pen pal situation. We met up like two days after my Christmas bonus hit um, in New Jersey. I drove like four hours away from family to, to get this and um yeah it was it's like it's a it's a gorgeous example again it's a pinhole version so there's two like right between the two images of jackie and that's why it holds it back on the grade but you can see that the overall presentation the auto like looks really solid and so probably does better than that um but yeah i just really love love this card and so for anyone listening to just to make sure i say this so the satchel was the 1949 bowman with a psa 2 9 auto and the Jackie's a 1955 tops with an authentic card and nine auto. Yeah. So I think like you said, these nine autos have to be insane. I think that was part of our conversation earlier. Yeah. For sure. whatever reason, PSA, just the ballpoint almost always gets a nine because it's <laughs> 55 tops is also his, the year he won the world series, his only world series. So um, it's a, you know, it's a 
highly collectible one. Awesome. So Luke, I was wondering if we could here wrap up with like a fast five and I'm, I'm going to cheat because you, I, I got to say you're the most prepared guest I've ever had. You even <laughs> sent me notes, I think, cause you typed them up for yourself, right? I don't remember, but yeah. a few of the things that we didn't touch on, maybe I'll ask about here. Um, so one thing is a uh, first question I'll put um, for somebody who's maybe listening, maybe it's not even baseball, maybe it's another sport, but in general, they're interested in a market like, you know, signed vintage here or something that's just super obscure and hard to kind of mm-hmm. price out. I guess, what are your tips for that? And again, I, I'm stealing because I know this is something you want to talk about. So I'll ask about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say, well, first, first, first of all, like, I'm happy to, you can reach out and I'll, I'll give you like a much more in-depth answer and, you know, maybe tailored to whatever you're looking at, because it doesn't have to just be signed vintage to your point. Like these things are really obscure or tough to price, but I tried to find a, a happy medium between what was I willing to pay for it? Like my budget and what, um, like an alternative card that I could buy for that same amount of money. Would I be as happy with that? you know, as I am with this one. Um, and so maybe for the, for the specific example of Jackie, it was like, would I be as happy with a PSA eight 55 tops or a PSA nine 55 tops, Jackie, no auto as I am with a signed autograph card, um, from Jackie. And, and I, I would get to the point where I'm like, yeah, I, I would rather have it than the eight. I might rather have it more than the nine. Um, what do other people, what do you think? What, like, eventually if I have to sell this one day, like, do you think someone else would rather have a six, seven, eight or a, um, or an autograph version? And I think that was like a, a useful kind of like guideline for how do I justify this? And then also with signed vintage, there's a lot of considerations around pop rising because if someone is like Jackie, he passed in 1972, he didn't, he signed a lot, but he didn't, you know, never went to like the autograph shows that some of the current players go to and where like the pop count is in the thousands, like Jackie's cards are all under 15 signed. Um, Satch is similar. He passed in 82 and, you know, doesn't have that many cards signed. Um, so you, you have to think about that too. Like, am, am I buying a Sandy Koufax where he's been signing for 50 years? Um, his, he recently raised his pricing of autographs. Um, I think he like now charges 3000 bucks for, um, a rookie card to be signed. So like, maybe that's a useful metric, but like trying to get involved, ask the questions of me and other people you see that are out there, like that can be really useful, um, guidelines versus just saying, this is an awesome card. I'm going to jump in and pay whatever they're willing to pay. Um, and, and then I would, yeah, really take a lens towards, um, uh, how, how attractive it is. And maybe just a quick example, if I can pull it up is this one here is another 50 Bowman Jackie that's been signed. And I found that the card grade is really good. It's a three versus my other ones a 1.5, but the autograph is kind of faded. And, um, some people don't really care about that, but I was like, I just don't like looking at it as much. And I, I don't know that I would, you know, pay it the same, uh, pay the same amount as I would have, you know, looking back um, versus just waiting for something to look better. So consider those, but that wasn't fast answer. So I apologize. No, that's fine. <laughs> I knew it wouldn't be, and that's, that's okay because it's a very nuanced question. Um, so second question, and this is uh, kind of, you know, my interest and curiosity here. Uh, so obviously you haven't gotten in fairly somewhat early, right? You sounds like you kind of read 
jumped in in COVID. Um, how much of your collection growth would you say is simply you um, working, chipping away, saving some money, buying cards? And how much of it is having bought cards that without maybe even intending to, they happen to go up in price and then you're able to sell some and go buy more stuff that you liked. Does that kind of make sense? Like, yeah. would you say that was helped your growth here to where you are now? Or is it more so just continuing to chip away a little bit at a time and that sort yeah. of thing? Great question. Um, so I've definitely lost more money. <laughs> well, that's not true. I bet you I'm, I'm pretty close to break even, but mm -hmm. it feels in some ways on all the breaks I've, I used to join in 2020. I'm like, that was just, I'm sure I lost yeah. money on those. But um, I've been lucky with some of these signed cards getting um, going up in value. But I would say for the most part, it was chipping away. And like, I have a job that gives me discretionary income and I put a, a, a chunk of that towards cards and I really struggle with selling. It was only really this year where I started letting some, um, some of my PC go. And that was because I wanted to um, focus on getting more top tier cards. Like I know the Jackies and the pages. I just love, it. I go back to them 20 times for every time I go back to, you know, the other random cards in my case. And um, like, well, I should just, if I could trade all of those cards for another top tier card, then I probably, I probably would. And if that's the case and it's a rel like pretty available card, or if it's a, um, you know, one that isn't that scarce uh, or doesn't going to go up in value that, you know, quickly, like in my opinion, then, then I'm like, well, I mean, I'll just buy it back if I, you know, want to learn the lesson like the Jeter again. And so I would just sell stuff and not really think too much about profit and loss because I knew it was towards the gar the guise of getting, um, you know, the Satch uh, or another Jackie or something. And so I, I'm not benefiting the way that a lot of people did where, they bought stuff in 2015 or 2008 that was like a 52 tops mantle and they made a hundred thousand on it. Like, I wish that was the case, but I'm going to have to catch the next like 30 year cycle to that. So yeah, no, that makes sense. I appreciate it. I think that you kind of really hit on it at the end. I've realized after talking with a ton of people on here, the story is very similar where you kind of maybe start a little wider yes. and then you let some go and you're starting to like, kind of, you have this pinnacle of whatever up here is for you yes. at the very top. And for you, it seems like it's pretty clear. Um, but for like myself, I'm still discovering that. But then you realize, okay, you, you're either going to take out a couple thousand dollars of your next couple paychecks, or yeah. you're going to sell something that maybe means a little less. And it sounds like that's been similar for you. That's interesting. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. And then, so another question here is, um, if you were to dive into, let's say like a uh, basketball or football vintage. Um, do you think you would do the same thing where you went for autographs instead of high grade? I'm just curious because after listening to you here, I'm like sitting here thinking like, wow, I wonder if people, I'm sure people do this for football, right? But I can't think of the, I mean, there's obviously a ton of great players you could do this with, uh, but baseball seems like it just has that such an allure, allure and like legendary for all these guys mm. that they're so mainstream. Um, you know, like any kid knows Babe Ruth, right? Which is just yeah. crazy, but, um, Long-winded, but anyways, yeah, if you had to go back, if you had to do it now with like a baseball or basketball, do you think you would go for the signed vintage still or do the high grade? Um, it's a good question. So it depends too, because some of these guys are still alive, right? Like I'm thinking yeah. Kareem, you yeah. talked about the autographs. I just saw yeah. how many, probably hundreds or thousands of people get an autograph from him. So it's kind of tricky too. Yeah. So, cause my dad gave me the 69 tall boy set, um, mm -hmm. in, uh, from when he was growing up, he completed that set. Uh, with Kareem's rookie. And um, so I love that set as well. Like it's, I got it all graded with like 
you know, in this in a row. So it's like all, um, mm -hmm. I know that it's from his set. And I thought, should I go get that graded or should I go get that autograph set as like another way to tackle it? And I think the, sh the short answer is yes, I'm going to do that one day. Um, but I'm focusing on baseball for now. Mm -hmm. The football, they're like, I would get the Jim Brown because he was like, you know, another um, legendary guy who, uh, you know, had an impact in and out of sport. But kind of, yeah, I was going to say kind of like bigger than the sport, I guess, is what yeah. I was trying to get out with the baseball players. And then you think of like Jim Brown, like you said, bigger than the sport for sure. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I have as much like nostalgia passion for that. So it would be, yeah, I don't know if I would get as excited about that one. Um, but the 69 tops tall boy, I would. And then I just think 61 Fleer basketball is a really pretty set. So that's that, like a Bill Russell, correct? For baseball? It's basketball? Bill Chamberlain's rookie. And then Bill Russell's rookie is 58. 57. Yeah. 57. Okay. Yeah. So um, that, that would maybe be one, but I just like the look of 67, 61 Fleer more. So fourth question here, um, obviously we talked about your career a little bit. Um, you know, you're very involved with buying and acquiring and helping with different companies, that sort of thing. Um, how much do you view yourself as the CEO of your own PC oh. and how much has your career helped you in terms of like what you've learned through your job and career? And then in terms of what do you bring to sports cards? It's a very broad question, but I'm curious if you, any thoughts come to mind right when I ask that. It's a great question. I do feel like sometimes I get influenced by others um, in the, in the hobby, but I think I've gotten a like, Brett has started doing the CEO of your own PC thing. Right. And I, I, I've like really started to say, you know what, I'm just going to get what I want. And and that was probably the last six months. And when I started to sell things to, to fund some, some more stuff that I really want, um, I view it that way. But I, I would say that um, I am bringing more skills from the hobby to work than vice versa. Um, you eat, as a where I, where I work, like I'm not always the key deal maker. Like I'm starting to become that, but um, I don't like lead every negotiation, for example. But you do that in every deal that you work with in, in the hobby. Like you've got to you know work with whoever is on the other side and figure out what makes sense and build a relationship to then secure a deal. And and that's very similar to what we do with investing. And um, I feel like I've been able to make some mistakes, some footfalls in the hobby and then have become more adept at work because of that. So um, that's been useful. And then I think we do a lot of market work at work that it, it's just helpful for me to, to put that frame onto the hobby. Like how much do I want to value Messi, which was one that I really loved um, when I first rejoined. I just, I, and it, for whatever reason, I loved Lionel Messi. And um, I spent a bunch of money on that, but like I didn't do any market work. I didn't understand like how much he, grew already and what who are the people that were actually buying it like what's the makeup of it and so um i just was like this is a cool card and it's available i'm gonna buy it um and now i don't do that as much like you know i'm i'm, I'm trying to understand the context around a card before i spend you know any real money on something so you reminded me of my other question that i was going to ask you so this is the last question it ties very directly to that um but i guess first of all your comment there really like was a light bulb for me like you learn more from sports cards that you apply to your job versus the other. Cause I would say the same, right. It's like you said, very interesting learning. I think one thing is to under, understanding like, um, like hype, I guess is the way to put it, mm -hmm. right? Like you said, understanding the background of who is influencing this market and what's going on, which yeah. is very interesting. Um, but so fifth question here, and it's something that truthfully I think about a lot for like vintage baseball. I don't collect, but I'm just always super curious on is like, 
who is that makeup? Do you say in 30 years from now, who do you think is going to hold this market, keep mm. it rolling because of passion? Like, do you think that, um, I guess to put it this way, like I, I view your sign stuff very interestingly and very different than like high grade vintage. Like I see the price high grade vintage is going and I would hope that stays right. There's still going to yeah. be interest, but, but then at the end of the day, I also understand from football, you know, there is a lot of copies. There's not a lot in high grade. But there's a lot of copies of some of this stuff out here. So I'd love to understand your perspective on what you think maybe the next, again, like 30, 40, as we are getting to the, maybe the retirement yeah. age. Yeah. Are, who's going to be around us collecting these? I'd love to hear that. That's a good question. The, the 30 for vintage baseball, you're saying? Yeah. For vintage baseball specifically. Um, so yeah, I've thought a lot about this and mm -hmm. I, I do think that there's a long runway with the current big money collectors in vintage. Um, there is, if you, if you were to talk to a heritage auctions rep or someone at you know, memory lane or REA, like the buyers of these high dollar vintage cards are anywhere between 45 and 85. Mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe there's a slight skew to the, the older ones, but that's just because where there's a lot more discretionary income, less family responsibilities, but there's still a good chunk of the hobby that grew up in, you know, the eighties and viewed, the 50s, 60s, and pre-war and whatnot as, um, you know, the, the the cornerstones or the pillars of the hobby, and they want to move back and collect that. That's a natural progression that a lot of people make is eventually move back into vintage in some form. Um, not everyone, but it's a, it's a common trend. And so I do think there's at least 30 years of, you know, that next generation or that those 45-year-olds continue to spend over time. Um, and then I've been pr pretty plugged into you know, the people who are my age or your age that are, you know, also getting appreciation for vintage. And it's hard to say how many are, are there, but I got to figure that that um, the respect for history, the respect for, um, uh, you know, what we would call the, I don't know, the original like reasons why the hobby became interesting and popular will always like the same way people like World War II and like learning about that. Like I, I got to figure that's going to be a part of the, the community. And is that going to be the same amount versus those who love the nineties, which, you know, cause there's obviously a huge portion of this, which is just collect, bring me back to my childhood, you know, bring mm -hmm. me back to nostalgia. That's going to be hard to call, but um, I, you know, my thesis, if I have one is there's going to be, generally a similar amount of vintage collectors, maybe slightly less over time, um, next 30, 40 years. But the people who are um, moving into vintage are gonna care less about that pack fresh mentality that drove most of collecting in the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, and care more about the autographs that they grew up seeing throughout the 2000s and 2010s and 2020s and whatnot. Um, and so if they move back into vintage, they're still going to care about being at the top of the mountain, top of PSA set registry and whatnot. But they might also say, hey, I'd rather have an autograph version than, mm -hmm. you know, something that might have been trimmed early on in PSA's you know, history. And, and um, you know, so that, that's, that's what my defensibility. You don't see me buying, you know, the high grade stuff because it's really expensive. And I'm not sure if that's going to always be the case. But this, this is more affordable and, um, you know. I think it's still relevant long-term. No, I, that's awesome. I, I loved that. That was so interesting. And that, 
does answer very um, well spoken the the question I have here because yeah that that to me makes a lot more sense as someone you know again I'm probably like five six years younger than you um, and to me yeah looking at this I find the autographs more interesting and cool and also like you said more affordable than the, mm -hmm. the high grade so it's 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 awesome um, yeah. I appreciate this so much man this is awesome I hope everyone sticks yeah. around for this last bit too because I, I love these really in depth questions you just answered so I really appreciate it oh yeah no no. Uh again, super appreciate you having me on and, and offering even at all. That was just great. And it's obviously the highlight of my day and probably weeks. So, um, I, I, yeah, just, this is a, this is a blast and looking forward to more of, uh, your episodes down the line. Thanks man. I appreciate it. Looking forward to chatting over time too. I'm sure we're going to meet up soon here. Oh yeah. Let's do it. Great. Okay. Awesome. See you later. Thanks Luke.